You're listening to the Kingdom Project Podcast. These are discussions on biblical theology and interpretation. The emphasis is on context and grace. The goal is to promote biblical literacy by displacing and debunking most modern interpretations. The challenge is to engage in healthy conversation that may stretch, but sharpen iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. Alright, we, we're still in 1 John chapter 2. If you want to turn there, we'll be looking at 18 through 25 today. Um, we looked at just 18 <laughs> last last week. You guys get to listen to it? All right. So we have discussed the last hour, all right, last week, and then we identified through Scripture what the last hour was referring to. We didn't use today's newspaper headlines. We used Scripture. <laughs> Which is the way to do it. You always want to use Scripture to interpret Scripture, okay? I, def- I have, with many other people, determined the last hour of the last days concern the Old Covenant Age, okay? And then we ended on the biblical definition of Antichrist. So the general concept of this powerful end-time figure that's opposed to God It is found in Jewish apocalyptic writings, so there's many who see the Antichrist here as this end-time figure. They will point to Daniel uh, chapter 7, the horn, and say that's him. He's also the beast of Revelation 13 and the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians 2. Now, the Bible doesn't specifically say that uh, Antichrist is any of these figures, but we can say we know that all these figures were Antichrist, or anyone who is like that is Antichrist. So we've established that biblical definition, which I think is important, instead of applying it to one you know, political you know, a figure who's going to rise up and start a one world government in the future times and all that, is actually Antichrist is a biblical definition of it, right? Um, so it, it's... It's possible John had in mind these Gnostic false teachers because they were opposing Christ. And John does refer to the spirit of the Antichrist later. We'll see this in 4.3, but we're not there yet. But he, he will refer to that later, later as the controlling force behind the, the opponents. All right. So we'll look at verse 18 again. He says, children, it is the last hour and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. So, you know, all that stuff from last week, we have that now under our belt. So, he says, you have heard, you have heard that Antichrist is coming. That indicates that something, somebody has said something, right, concerning this. <laughs> There's a, somebody has warned them. Someone has given a teaching concerning the coming of an antichrist or antichrists. And so it means that it was well known. 
because he's addressing it. You have heard, right? So how, how? We have to know how. How have they heard that? How did they know there was going to be this Antichrist in this last hour, right? Because that word doesn't appear anywhere except for in John's letter in 1 John. And uh, the first John, second John, third John, his epistle. This, though, in first John. All right. This is the first mention in the New Testament of that term, that word being used, Antichrist. But John says, you guys already know about him. You've heard him. He's coming. Well, you can think back to the ministry of Jesus and what he said. Matthew 24, 23 and 24. It says, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there he is. Do not believe it for false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So what we have here is false Christ, false prophets is uh, uh, um, I'm trying to think of the word uh, suedo, right? Pseudo, <laughs> right? Pseudo fake, right? Uh, Christos, right? Anyone who's claiming to be a Christ, even an anointed Messiah, an anointed, they're false Christs, they're false prophets. Jesus prophesied, had cautioned his disciples in all of that discourse, which we talked about some last week. He was telling them, uh, warning them against false Christs, false prophets. And he gives a specific caution against them concerning the time leading up and including the siege that would take place um, and that included the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem in 70 AD. So Christ had warned them about the coming of these false Christs and these false prophets. And then it said that, that it would, they would lead their followers and, and to the, uh, lead them astray if possible. All right. In the, into the desert in some uh, translations. Now, Josephus, um, not Bocephus, uh, Hank, <laughs> Josephus, all right, not Hank Williams uh, Jr., but <laughs> Josephus, okay, he is a, an ancient historian, all right, he was a Jew, I, I've talked about him a little bit, but um, he's a Jewish historian, he, he, he left the Jews, he went and worked with the, Rome, the Romans, okay, they're very meticulous on keeping historical records. They told him, you keep track of your people and, and do these records. And he kept records up through 70 AD too. So he's got all this stuff. But he, he tells, he's got a book. Uh, it's called Josephus Antiquities. All right. And it's very, very interesting. He tells from the, the Jewish point of view of like all the Bible, like, all, like Noah, all this stuff, right? All the stories in there, but he talks about the Roman sieging uh, Jerusalem. He talks about crazy things that took place that definitely matches, and I know that would be considered a secular source, but we use historical records to look and match things up, okay? So anyway, he, he had wrote that there were many imposters and cheats that persuaded the people to follow them into the desert where they promised to show manifest wonders and signs done by the providence of God. And many being persuaded suffered the punishment for their folly. And Felix, a man named, uh, named Felix, brought them back and chastised them. All right. So 
And there's just statement after statement and statement of, of these records. There, there are people who went into the temple too. They went into Jerusalem, said, get rid of all the food. And then God will make it, will, will bring it all back and stuff. And they got rid of all their food. They're barricaded inside. The Roman soldiers are outside. So they, they went into starvation because they believed this, right? So they, 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 with the Romans, the Jews with the Romans, they had plotted to kill Jesus, right? And there's many false Christs, many false prophets that appear in this time. And, um, and it helped to bring on their destruction as well because they, the Roman soldiers didn't have to do a whole lot because they had already uh, really starved themselves and killed themselves off from inside the walls. Okay, so... The Antichrist spirit was already present and it was active in these days, in the first century, okay? It was, act, it was active in the false teachers, these false Christs, prophets, these Gnostics, and so forth, okay? So notice that the arrival of the last hour is signaled by the appearance of many. It says many Antichrists, not one particular <laughs> world leader, right? So... You also have to know that there couldn't be any Antichrist until there was Christ, the Christ, right? In the first century after Christ, there arose many Antichrist, signifying that it was indeed this last hour that was coming upon this nation. And that hour ended in 70 AD, and, but there's continued to be Antichrist, uh, or the spirit of Antichrist ever since then. So John's telling his readers that the Antichrist that they were seeing were an indication that it was the last hour. That hour ended in 70 AD. And as we know, there will always be Antichrist because there will always be those who oppose Christ, right? So John gives them more, uh, more info referring to the Antichrist mission in verse 19. He says they went out from us. But they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Now, uh, you have to think about this. We read that word now. We read us. We're just thinking uh, like us collectively. But this is John, who's an apostle, right? They went out from us. Okay, so... Most see this as the opponents, the Antichrist going out from the congregation or Christian community. But if that were the case, that would actually be good news because he would be like, hey, those Antichrists left your church. They've left, they've left the Christian community. That's a good thing. That's not what he's saying. He's actually referring to the, these Antichrist people uh, going out uh, it, or if he was referring to them going out from the churches, he would have said they went out from you, you guys, right? They had not left the church or the churches to whom John is writing to. If they had left, it would have not been a problem at all. John's clearly concerned about his readers' exposure to them because they went out from his us. <laughs> Does that make sense? His group of people. This is a reference clearly to the church at Jerusalem, the apostolic uh, circle, okay? I'm not saying they were apostles, I'm saying they they came from there. They went out from John circle. Alright? So that would mean that these false teachers had gone from among the apostles, alright, claiming that their message was endorsed by 
these original apostles or by the church in Jerusalem. So having come from this, this circle or this place of authority, uh, they, would have, they would have had sense of authority. People would have been like, oh, they come from John, you know, so we need to listen to them. All right, they came from the church in Jerusalem. That was what it means when it says have gone out from us, but they were not of them, okay? So it's as though these antichrists had once been in that church at some point, all right? Um, this would give them a, a prestigious point of origin. It gives them an endorsement, like I said. So their departure from there, that fellowship of that, that circle of the apostolic fellowship was an indication that they did not really belong there in the first place, all right? They're false. Um, something happened. We don't know what it was, but um, it, it was definitely over the doctrine of Christ since he's been uh, addressing that. So it's probably not a coincidence then that the same verb, the verbiage he uses to describe departure, it was, it's used in John 13, 30 of the departure of Judas from the upper room. Okay, and so that implication then becomes clear. Okay, Judas was betraying Jesus. Okay, so this group of these false teachers have betrayed their fellow members of the community and have gone out into this darkness in which he's referred to just as Judas went out into the night. Okay, then it says for for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. And that could be translated, if they had belonged to us, which they did not, then they would have stayed with us, which they did not. So he's saying that if they had been of us, they would have remained in fellowship with us. They would have uh, known the correct doctrine, right? All, all this is point, you know, it's pretty self-explanatory once you start to reword it and stuff. But they're going out from us demonstrates that they were not in fellowship with us. That was never the intention, all right? But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. That literally saying, but their going was in order that they would be revealed that they all are not of us. They were not in fellowship with these people in the Christian sense, okay? And their leaving proved so. So just in this, the first two verses of this section, John speaks of the coming of Antichrist and indicating that it was the last hour. And he identifies them um, as these people who seceded. Is that how you say that word? <laughs> Always. But the, he identified them as cessationists of this, the, 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 the church in Jerusalem. So they were not in fellowship with that apostolic circle because they were walking in doc, doc, uh, darkness of false doctrine. So he's telling the original audience that the Antichrist, they were seeing, were an indication then of all this that we've already gone through last week and now. And that, that last hour, then it came to an end in 70 AD. I feel like a broken record, but it's just over and over. Okay. And there will always be Antichrist. So in other words, we know there's always going to be opposition. Okay. That, that's just a given. But it, John made it, made it clear that they all are not of us, which means these men had no authority, and what they're teaching is false. Don't believe them. Okay? Verse 20, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. So he's saying 
that John's telling them, you guys, though, you guys have been anointed by the Holy One. These pre-Gnostic false teachers were asserting, remember, that they had that enlightenment, that secret knowledge that we've talked about. They claimed special anointing that brought knowledge and identification with a deity. And John asserts that it was actually the believers, the Christians, not these false teachers, not the Gnostics, who had the anointing. The New Testament does not speak of a special anointing that's given to a particular individual. <laughs> okay? Um, I'll just have to say that. The, the anointing is the Holy Spirit. All Christians are anointed because we all have the Holy Spirit of God in us that dwells in us, all right? All believers have this. So when people talk about so-and-so is coming to this church for this special meeting, he's really anointed. It's like, well, okay, well, I'm anointed too. <laughs> but we, we, we lift these people up, put them on pedestals. They have this anointing. Well, there's no special anointing that's given them. They could say, well, there's a list, apostles and prophets and this, and, and then you have to get into that whole thing, which we've gone over, and, and you guys know where I'm at on that. We all are anointed, all right? Jesus, uh, I've always said it for years now. He's like cleared the playing field, right? We're all equal in the gospel. Like you're anointed, I'm anointed. I may be better at explaining this, but you may be better at praying or doing what it is that you do, right? Uh, and that's it. Like, and we all come together like uh, pieces of a puzzle that make up the body of Christ, okay? So there is no specific anointing given to particular individuals in the Bible. The anointing is the Holy Spirit of God. So this reference to having all knowledge here, you need to understand that in context, okay? Because the subject that's under discussion has been the denial that Jesus is the Christ, right? God's son who came in the flesh as a human, right? Uh, nothing they need to know about these matters has to be learned from these teachers, all right? Everything they need to know is taught to them by the anointing that they have received in the original doctrine of, of Christ's gospel. So he's saying this spiritual knowledge, it's not restricted. And this was so important. Everything. <laughs> it, I just All this stuff comes back, but it's just like how many people do we know that just really need to just, if you they read the Bible and understood what it said, that the message John had for the, the church in the first century is, is for so many today as well because um, he, he's saying that spiritual knowledge, a revelation or that special whatever it is, that enlightenment is not restricted to some elite inner circle, okay? You don't need that prophet or the, the, the pay this guy however much money to come and do a three-day conference, right? Now, not, I'm not knocking all that. I'm just saying people do it for that one reason. I got to have what he's got. You have it, okay? You have it. Um, the, the, so he's saying, like, that guy, there's nothing extra special about him. They're trying, they're, 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 they're snake oil salesmen is what they are, okay? That's what he's saying. You have an anointing from the Lord himself, the Holy Spirit of God, 
and all that you know, not just some of you, not just some special group or the, the person who has been lifted up on the pedestal. It's you all, all of you know the doctrine, the faith once delivered to the saints, once and for all, or whatever. I don't get it right, but Jude, Ron, right? Once for all delivered. The doctrine, the gospel of Christ. You guys have it. That's right. We have it today, complete all together here in this Bible. So what he means is that the Christian does not need any teaching apart from what is found in God's word. All right. But these Gnostics or pre-Gnostics, they profess to have additional truth. And John saying there's no need of it because they have all they need in the spirit of God. All right. So we have it all today as well in the spirit of God with the word of God. The two go together like bread and butter. <laughs> Right, and he illuminates, and the words pop off the page, and it hits us. Boom. Okay. Same. Go it's just. Just want to shake. <laughs> Verse twenty-one. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. All right, that truth that he's referring to is the truth about Jesus. All of this is like tied in that, right? It's Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, uh, his deity, um, him being a human, but being God as well, 100% both, uh, the hypostatic union, the gospel. He was the Messiah, something that these, this group of teachers were denying and in, in, in doing so revealed themselves to be antichrist. And this truth, uh, this truth, uh, the truth versus the lie motif, if you will, it was introduced back in, in uh, the first chapter uh, when it said, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. So here it is, the person who claims to have fellowship with God and yet continues to walk in darkness that is characterized as lying and not practicing the truth. Okay? Basically a hypocrite. I mean, that's, that's the actual definition. Okay, so... Now, in 2.21, the phrase here, no lie is of the truth. It refers then to the teaching of these false uh, teachers. So these opponents are walking in darkness and they're not fellowship in fellowship whatsoever with God. And they deny all these things, but they claim to have these new revelations, these special truths that have just been given to them directly and nobody else. So come listen to us. You need what we have. Verse 22, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. So Antichrist again, liar is parallel to Antichrist. He who denies that Jesus is the Christ, all right? This is the first time that John explicitly is stating his, uh, his Christology, okay? His position Faced with the opponent's position. Now, the, it literally reads, the one who denies that Jesus is not the Christ. Again, these people are teaching Jesus was not the Christ. They separated the man, uh, Jesus, from the Christ who is God. 
So the Antichrist lie because they deny that Jesus is the Christ, which is denying that he is God's son and then denies then that he is our savior. And you see, it's just one after another. One lie just leads to a ton of lies, right? So they, they, they deny the father and the son because whoever denies the son doesn't have the father as well. And he said, verse 23, no, no who uh, denies the son, no one, is that right? Did I miss? <laughs> oh, boy. Make sure I didn't. <clears throat> yeah, no one, I forgot the one. No one who denies the son has the father, okay? Whoever confesses the son has the father also. He's repeating the idea there. He's repeating an ideal that Jesus expressed often. It's recorded in the Gospel of John that Jesus said, He who believes in me uh, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. He's saying, if you believe in me, you believe in the Father. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. He who receives me receives him who sent me. So that's John, there's, uh, John 12 and John, and John 13 in his Gospel. Those who deny the, the Son, they don't have the Father. Those who confess the Son have the Father. So there, there's, no, there's no way to the Father except through the Son. There's no true understanding of God unless you understand the God who is God and, and Father of our Lord Jesus, who is the Christ, right? And he is one, uh, in essence, with Christ. So what John's conveying here is that whoever denies the Son does not have the Father abiding in him, and he is therefore not walking in the light. And in this view, one who denies the Son does not have an abiding relationship with the Father. And that describes all unbelievers then. Confessing the Son means saying the same thing about him that God says. So confessing the Son results in the Father abiding within that confessor. Does that make sense? Verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. So he's calling on his readers to abide in the true doctrine, okay? The true doctrine, the apostolic doctrine of Jesus to enable them to abide in fellowship with the Father. And he's going to use this word abide. He uses it a lot, okay? And the ideal is repeated throughout the New Testament. Abiding in Jesus is not a passive thing. It's an active thing. It speaks of intimate fellowship, okay? We have our union, but we have our communion with him. So he's reminding them that what he is now telling them is, in fact, what the church has heard from the beginning, okay? It is contrary to what the false teachers were teaching, John's using beginning as he did in, in verse 1 when, when John describes the word of life as what was from the beginning. He's speaking primarily of the word of life that was incarnate in Jesus. And the phrase, what you heard from the beginning, refers to the apostolic eyewitness testimony about Jesus as contrasted then with the false teaching of these opponents who are contradictory in everything. This teaching, I've got like two paragraphs left. <laughs> this teaching must abide in the readers in order for them to abide 
in the Son, and in the Father. Okay. Verse 25, and this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. Right? The Antichrist deny that Jesus is the Christ, okay? The Christ, the Messiah. You know, Christ isn't his last name, right? It's, <laughs> it, it's only by believing that Jesus is the Christ that a person obtains eternal life, you know? We're, we're not, you know, eternal life is immortality, you know, and being immortal, if you will. It's the only way to be that. We're not just, we're not inherently immortal. The only way to get that, that promise, it says it's a promise. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I could go on a whole thing on that, but the, the promise of eternal life is, is only made to those who believe that Jesus is the Christ. It was nothing less than this God-given promise that was called into question by the doctrine of Antichrist. So John reassures his readers that the promise is valid. Okay? It's not to be called into question. It's valid because it came from them, because it came from Christ. So in closing, um, with this section today, what we see from this, this section of text is that we want to abide in Christ, and if we want to live in fellowship with God, we, we, need, we walk in the light, right? We, we walk in the light. And that light includes a proper doctrinal view of Jesus, all right, which is Christology, which I mentioned. So Jesus, um, Jesus was man, but Jesus was God too. They were, I've said this plenty of times, but he was put all that into a human vessel, if you will. Um, so, but he's he's the Son of God, but he's God, <laughs> and it gets very complicated. We won't go into that now, but you have to have a proper doctrinal view of Christ. So John's warning his readers to not let these people lie to them. Don't let these lying antichrists deceive you. And that, and that really, it shows us there's so much, everything comes back, it always comes back to doctrine, right? I mean, how many times do we do this? There's doctrine, there's false teachers, here we go. All right, so it, this really shows us an importance of proper doctrine, but a, a proper Christology as well, okay? Okay.